welcome one, welcome all to another developer interview here on the Xbox Expansion Pass. In this episode, we're chatting with Scott Brody of Heart Shaped Games to discuss their release of We Are the Caretakers, which of course you can find over on Steam and on Xbox. Remember to subscribe to the Xbox Expansion Pass on all your podcast services for more developer interviews, and of course over on YouTube at youtube.com slash the Xbox Expansion Pass. Take care. We are welcoming back onto the show now for our first episode of 2023, Scott Brody of We Are The Caretakers. Scott, welcome back. We had you on in April of 2021. How are you? I am doing really great. Thanks for having me back. I'm so glad to have you back. We first had you on uh, to discuss We Are The Caretakers. Uh, it had been initially showcased in an ID at Xbox showcase, uh, entered early access on Steam at that time when we knew it was coming to Xbox. It's been quite a journey since then, I would imagine. Yeah, it really has. Um, I don't know if we intended to be in early access uh, for this long, but um, it's been really good. And I'd be happy to talk more about that that process, just working with uh, the community to to figure out what game we wanted to end up making and, and how to make it better. So it's it's been a journey, but um, it's been a good one. And I think, uh, you know, the fans and the, the folks on Xbox now will finally get a chance to, to check it out. And uh, I, I think they'll really like what they see. I'm stoked to talk about that with you really and truly because I know the vision then probably different from the vision now, but I do want to remind listeners of a couple things. If they want to check out uh, XEP 78, they'll hear our first interview and some cool things of note, Scott, as I went back and listened to it, uh, I had forgotten, despite us talking about it, you had played a pretty big part in some popular Xbox Live arcade titles back in the day, like Swing and uh, Snoopy Flying Ace, and as, as, as well, Heart Shaped yeah. Games, the studio you're at was remote working remotely i should say prior to the pandemic right yeah all those things are true yeah we've been working remotely since um 2010 and so we have a lot of experience doing that but yeah i, uh, I definitely have a long uh you know history with with xbox being an xbox live arcade producer for about four years so i worked with a lot of awesome indies and um yeah also worked on the first party side and made age of swing which uh folks like yourself still bring up to me as as a game they they really like and i'm really i'm really proud of it it's a fun game so um so yeah long history with xbox and excited to finally have one of my own uh indie games coming out now uh, on xbox as well that is so cool that's got to be surreal in a couple different ways do you take a step back and just think what young scott would have thought about when he looks at your career now <laughs> It is kind of funny um, being on the other side of things. I was I was kind of laughing because um, I was like asking around for advice on how to do an Xbox launch, uh, you know, in 2022. And, you know, of course, I, I used to kind of have that pretty well mastered, um, you know, back in the XBLA days. So things have definitely changed with ID at Xbox and, you know, Xbox Series X and being out there. And, and so a lot has changed, but for the good. And um, it is kind of surreal knowing I own my own company now and, I, and I'm now shipping a pretty big game uh, on on the platform. Yeah, that's so wild. Well, let's talk a little bit about We Are the Caretakers. Uh, we, you guys had a vision uh, when it was initially, you know, put out to the public, and it was showcased at ID Xbox. It went into Steam Early Access. But how closely is that vision then to where you guys are now on the eve of your your kind of full launch? I think it's still pretty close in a lot of ways in the sense that it was kind of a combination of, of two loves when we, one was this inspiration from 
animal conservation and and all of the the messy um, mechanics and things that go into that. And then just wanting to make like a grand strategy RPG um, along the lines of something like Ogre Battle, which is a really old school game. And I feel like it it ultimately plays like that. It feels like this this unique blend of this unique setting and this kind of beloved game, at least beloved to to me, that I've always wanted to make kind of my version of. And uh, so I think it is it is there. I think the one thing that really um, I guess differed uh, from the when we where we first started is we've really gone all in on it being much more of like a narrative JRPG. Um, and I would say pulled back. It's definitely still a strategy um, experience, but um, I think. Uh, Zalvir Nelson Jr., um, who's probably worked on uh, a lot of games you, you folks know. Um, uh, he, they're, they're such long titles, I forget <laughs> how to say them exactly, but um, there's like an airport for aliens currently uh, run by dogs. Um, there's, uh, there's the organ trading simulator that just came out uh, last year, I think. Uh, so he's, he's made a lot of unique narrative-driven games, and we just wanted to kind of put his superpower um at full blast in the game. So I, I think folks will be really excited to play not only a great strategy RPG, but to, to experience a really unique and um, top quality, you know, narrative campaign as well. That narrative is a pretty big part of the game now, as you say, but also was a pretty big element when we first talked. Conservation being a big factor of that and, and trying to put the the player into a role where they kind of empathize with those working in conservation. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So the, the game is about that on the, uh, you know, I would say at like a metaphorical level, there's definitely, you know, animal, animal protection and conservation, uh, themes running throughout the game. The core action of the game is protecting this kind of, um, alien, uh, you know, uh, large megafauna called the Ron, that's sort of a rhino-like, elephant-like creature that's being poached. Um, but they're being poached by sci-fi poachers and, and aliens, and we've got this really exciting um, sci-fi setting to wrap everything up in. So it, it's definitely um, there at the center of the, of the game. Uh, but really what we wanted to hopefully bring out is with this kind of exciting sci-fi uh, experience and world we've built to really draw attention to some of these unique dynamics we um, experience in our research around um, poaching and animal conservation. And I think um, players will really um, get exposed to some of the things that we were surprised by, like how much the, the surrounding communities play a part in this and um, how little resources uh, the rangers who are kind of modeled as the the caretaker faction in our in our game um, have to deal with um, with just just working with with not as many people and and not as many uh, resources to to do their job. So um, it's definitely there and it's definitely at the center um, of the narrative. But I think it takes some some fantastical twists um, from there uh, from that from that kind of core idea. With the idea being that they don't have enough people to kind of get the job done in the way that they want, does that mean it's a losing battle? In a lot of ways, it's it's a losing battle in the sense that um, if they had uh, more and better trained and um, better equipped um, people, 
there there may be less losses, and, and a lot of it comes down to support from you know uh, communities, governing bodies, governing bodies, and things like that. That um, you know all would help, and so it's with the lack of some of those support systems, um, it is a losing battle in a lot of ways. I think recently there have been some gains. I, I haven't. Um, looked at all the numbers recently of, you know, real world animal poaching and things like that. But, um, it's, it's definitely, uh, a losing battle in some ways. I think in our game, what we try to do is paint, uh, uh, a path in a future for how it could be, uh, a winning battle. And, um, it, it ju and just exposing like, you know, multiple stra strategic paths in your gameplay that model, some of the real world paths that, um, you know, we, we could be taking. And, um, I think it's interesting to explore kind of, you know, how all those things can work together to, to change the, the outcomes we currently have. I want to give, uh, listeners an idea of what your game looks like. Uh, but when I read the description, I'm going to need you to, to elevator pitch it for us as well. It's described on your website as an Afrofuturistic sci-fi squad management RPG. And, that is a lot to take in, but you're talking about some of these mechanics and, and whatnot. Can you give uh, listeners kind of an idea of what it is they, they experience when they jump in? Yeah, so I've been describing it, and it's a little bit of a, a new uh, genre, I guess, uh, in terms of how, how to describe a game. But I've been describing it as a grand strategy JRPG, and those... A couple of those changes are, are important from how we, we previously talked about the game. So the game operates on kind of three levels. So you run the, the caretakers, which is a secret, you know, um, uh, faction in the future that uh, has been protecting the society of Shadra under this um, uh, high tech barrier for thousands of years. And uh, the start of the game is basically the inciting incident where People are getting through that barrier. There's alien activity. And now your animals and your society are under threat. And so now you need to deal with that threat at multiple layers, much like a grand strategy game. You've got a headquarters that you need to manage where you can do technology. You can um, upgrade and level up. You know, you get up to 100 different characters across 30 different um, job classes. Mm -hmm. And then you're organizing them into squads. Um, you're dealing with poachers that you have detained, um, in the field, uh, in, in the, in the, what's called the atrium in your headquarters. Um, so there's lots of kind of typical like ex darkest dungeon headquarters type stuff. And then you, um, go into missions that send you out into the, the field, which is sort of an RTS with pause gameplay where you're assessing the field, you're capturing territories, you're, getting information from some of the towns uh, in the area. And then you're trying to track poachers and animals to both protect the animals and, and engage with the poachers. And then once you engage with a, one of your units with a poacher unit, you'll go into a unique turn-based combat style um, encounter, which uh, where the, the J in our JRPG comes in. It's, it plays much more like a, um, uh, a JRPG combat system than say something like an XCOM, a tactical system. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a really unique blend of gameplay types, but it, the core idea is that you're um, dealing with problems at the, the highest of high levels in your headquarters and at like the micro levels 
in um, in combat, and all of them, uh, all of the actions you take at all the levels play into your kind of top level resources that you're managing, which are your reputation, your funds, and your technology that will get you through to hopefully um, avoid extinction of the the uh, the Ron species and get you to the end of the campaign. There's definitely like a lot of that sci-fi element, as you as you mentioned there. Uh, and the art style seems to be pretty suggestive of sci-fi as well. Was there a decision made to, to kind of go that route versus something maybe more? I don't, I don't know if realistic is the right word, but yeah, maybe I'm going. Uh, absolutely. No, I think that was a core consideration very early on the project is of how how how, you know, real world, you know, maybe militaristically do we want to depict this or how fantastical do we want to go with it? And ultimately, uh, we were inspired by the art of our art director, um, Anthony Jones. He goes by Robot Pencil online. He's just a fantastic concept artist and, and general artist. He did all of the, um, the character art and, um, you know, lots of the UI and design and things like that, um, as well as just um, things like Black Panther, which... Um, do a great job of, of blending some of the uh, real world environments that we're inspired by, but also with a uh, sort of futuristic um, look and feel that we really felt like captured the reality of, of what we, what we were trying to build and just uh, matched the, the people that we, we met in the field doing the real work. So we were really inspired by kind of a number of factors there that, that brought that style on. And I think it's made our game unique in it. I think the, the character designs in particular are one of the standout parts of the game. Um, in my, in my humble opinion, <laughs> I'm, I'm inclined to agree. And I'm glad you brought up black Panther. Cause I see kind of a Wakandan element there, but I didn't want to sound reductionist when I said it, uh, because it really is beautiful. And, and I feel like it stands out in a really special way. Um, I'm watching some of the gameplay right now as we talk, uh, particularly the top-down elements. And I'm curious how you decided to uh, blend kind of the top-down RTS elements and then take it into that JRPG kind of combat system that's turn-based. What was the decision between going from one to the other? Yeah, so I think, um, again, my my inspirations for these types of design decisions come from a lot of places, but um, I think it was... a a match between um, Ogre Battle, which was kind of the first games to do this, where they had sort of a real-time exploration map um, that would then go into these turn-based encounters. So I always really liked that system. But then it, when we talked with to some of the, the real-world rangers, it, it really seemed to map to what they did because it's sort of like, you know, they have small groups that are out exploring or gathering data, et cetera, out in these vast fields while poachers or civilians are out there at the same time. And so you've got all these kind of small groups out in this environment and the, you know, the, the action is basically when they come together and what happens. And um, our combat system is really, we, we call it an encounter system because it's not always combat in the sense that the characters have both aggressive, you know, your traditional attacks from a JRPG. Um, and then they have more like diplomatic or um, will uh, stat targeting abilities. So, so every character in the game has a physical stamina and a mental will and characters in the game have abilities that target either of those. And so you kind of have a choice of which path you want to take in, in a encounter to resolve it. 
and and so we we kind of just took this again this real world inspiration of of how things work and how you might resolve a real world encounter and how we could map it to um to make interesting gameplay uh and so that's that's really where this this came from was this blend of like this ogre battle style of gameplay and then putting our own spin on it based upon the research we had had done that's a really cool uh kind of kind of way to take it and i like the concept of will and diplomacy being as game mechanics and uh when i watch gameplay i see kind of those standard combat tactics you know you choose an ability it causes damage etc but when you factor in the will and diplomacy element uh, i think that adds a different dynamic to it that maybe players wouldn't be expecting initially uh how much work did it take to kind of get that in there and working the way you guys wanted it to is that a viable option can you would you play an entirely diplomatic run through of it <laughs> well, the, actually, one of our hardest achievements is actually a pacifist run. So you absolutely can do a pacifist run. It's very difficult, uh, or at least if if not difficult, uh, potentially more time consuming, because it's a lot easier just to go in and try to use your aggressive abilities to resolve things. But your reputation will, will suffer and the threat meter will go way up faster and so the enemies will run from you. So um, there's it's definitely a viable um, but usually what ends up happening um, is you take a um, a balanced approach to where you might need to stun uh, uh, a frontline um, opponent uh, to stop them from using their aggressive actions while you use a couple of will um, damaging abilities to kind of break them down and uh, make it so their attacks aren't as effective, um, etc., and uh, you kind of use a balance of these abilities in most cases to kind of make sure that it gets resolved, but in uh, the least damaging way possible. Um, I kind of uh, skipped over a key feature of the encounter, which is the threat uh, system. And so basically as a way to kind of um, balance out um, just the dominant choice of always using the aggressive abilities, um, the threat meter basically um, goes up and down based on the types of abilities you use. And if it gets too high, then um, you start getting uh, basically effects that affect all abilities later in the encounter. So maybe uh, at threat level three, um, your, uh, your characters will start um, having way more um, uh, successful aggressive abilities and way less successful um, mental attack abilities and maybe um, mental defenses start to go down for, for all characters uh, at the same time. And so you can, can actually hover over the, um, the threat bar to kind of see what the, the new environment is at every level. And it changes kind of how you need to play because now there are these kind of changes to what's most effective in that environment. So it's kind of interesting and it's really ultimately a system that's meant to balance out um, just going with one type of attack the whole time. Um, and I think it works pretty well, and, but honestly, it's come together, I think, in its best state late here. So I don't think a lot of players have actually played what I think is like the best version of it here. So I'm excited for everyone to play the, the final version and really experience the, the kind of choice space there. See, that's interesting to me because you talked at the top of the interview about how much player feedback has kind of changed what you were going for. Maybe not changed, but kind of impacted early access, uh, informed you guys as to how things were going. And now you have a feature that is uh, 
not widely known, I guess, by that audience. Are you ex- like, I know you're excited for it, I should say, but what is it you're expecting to see change amongst the player group that's been working with it? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think I think a lot of the, the early access players have been really clear about, you know, I guess there was a first level of just like, let's get the polish up, let's get bug fixes in let's add quality of life features we needed. So I, I do think from the start of early access till now, it's just a better experience and, and it has a lot more of the, the overall features and things you would expect. Um, so I think players who maybe started at early access but didn't follow along with us as much will be surprised at kind of how far that's come in terms of, you know, we've overhauled a lot of the effects. We've got the full sound design in and, and more, um, you know, lots of new characters and new abilities and things that have come along to kind of fill up the full slate of strategic options. But I do think to me, it is, um, it is a bit of like the, all of the fine tuning that has gone into the balance. So it feels like, um, more of an overall, like there, there's, there's actual choices <laughs> in place. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, this is a little off your question, I guess, in terms of like the, the core systems, sure, but it, it's man. really, I think, I think, we've presented this uh, this view of the game of uh, having this big alien encounter. And I think through the first three acts of the game, it's really sort of teased or we're actually actively trying to make you forget about the aliens uh, by, by, by having you face other threats. Um, and so really uh, what I'm excited about is that the fourth era of the campaign is going to go live and it's all aliens all the time. And so you're finally going to uh, kind of, see what's going on with them, why they're here, what they care about, and, and you know, a notch up of, I guess, challenge as well. So I'm really, really excited for the kind of the surprise of what people will see in the fourth era. How long will it take players to get to that fourth era? And I guess, um, like, what's a standard, you know, hour count for how much, how much time it takes to beat your game? Yeah, I've been doing some play tests, uh, full, full, playthrough playtests um, for the last month or two. And I know a lot of how the game works. And so I've been getting through between, I would say, eight hours. But I think it's going to be closer to like 12 hours for um, for everyone to like take their time, maybe lose a little bit, um, do things inefficiently, um, that type of thing. So I, I would say anywhere from around eight to 12 hours, or maybe, maybe even six, if you really know what you're doing and you're just trying to go fast through, um, would be kind of my, my general gauge for things. And then the game is set up. It has a a final scoring system. So, and there's a leaderboard, uh, on Xbox live. So between, between those unique achievements and leaderboards and multiple playthrough opportunities for either better scores or different endings. Um, you know, I think you've got a lot of gameplay, uh, here, if you like, you know, your traditional JRPGs where it's it's about different choices, different loadouts and um, going through, um, you know, a, a story. Um, you know, there's definitely a lot of room for a, a lot of gameplay time. We have talked a lot about different mechanics and, and whatnot, but I, I don't think we've done a good job at reminding players this is coming to console. Uh, this isn't just a PC game. And optically, when you find gameplay at the moment, a lot of it showcases PC. Can you talk a bit about bringing it to the console uh, arena and what it is that you guys are looking to do uh, or which rather you have done to kind of bring controller support to the game? Yeah, I'm really happy with our our controller implementation and just our overall 
console UI um, solutions. I think, you know, one of the challenges we have is because we have all these different layers of gameplay, we had to basically come up with with three different control layouts and, and that sort of thing. Um, we, we've got a guide at the bottom of the screen at all times that kind of explains how, how that works. But, um, you know, I think we've found a really good uh, RTS with pause implementation where you can kind of move around the map and you just select what's ever in your at the center point of your your camera so you're sort of moving the, the camera around and then selecting units telling them where to go etc um but to me it just feels right on console especially in combat where you can kind of just navigate the menus quickly pick your targets like you would your your traditional um jrpgs so i think there's a lot of things that just feel more natural on on console than pc um that i'm really excited about just the game seems to flow uh, flow faster and flow right on there uh, overall. So I'm I'm just overall excited about you know how how the setup works and how how uh, the game looks on Xbox Series X. That's super exciting to me because I adore games like like We Are the Caretakers, where you have RTS elements, where there's a, a consistent combat and strategy going on. But I'm a console player. That's where I tend to do most of my gaming, and so that's exciting for me. Uh, to hear how long did it take for you guys to get the control scheme down to get it the way you wanted i would say honestly we we entered early access with controller support but i think there were a lot of challenges with it so i would say honestly the last year and a half of refinement uh you know we, we used all of that time to really get it right um and so there's a lot of effort and work that went into uh not only just getting the right control scheme down but um making it feel natural. And we just added some other quality of life features. Like for example, in combat, actually I want to call it a, a couple features because I think players may not notice them immediately. Yeah. But if you hold down the right trigger, it'll basically just fast forward time 2x. So you can kind of speed up gameplay uh, whenever you want versus having like a toggle setting or something like that. And that's kind of cool because it feels like a, a fast forward setting on a, on a, I don't know. I'm going to say DVD player, but those are old <laughs> on your, you know, on anything. So um, I think it's um, it's a really cool. I, I as to me, I'm really happy with that implementation because I've made a lot of RPGs and turn-based games in my career, and there's inevitably a backlash of like combat goes too slow, and I just want to speed pass and and you know watch the numbers go up. And so you you have the ability to do that in, in the game. Um, I also think uh, I just want players to know that in the uh, field, um, the game is meant to be paused all the time. So you can actually pause the game. I think it's the um, the Y button um, at any time and you can still move the camera and you can give orders. So you should really not feel like this is a high pressure RTS. It's really just about having a field uh, to explore. But you can pause the game, select a unit tell you know set its path while the game is paused and so i'd really encourage players to do that so that you can maximize your time because um, a couple of the missions are like basically you know you have to um, complete your objectives before a certain number of days go by and so you really want to max use the pause feature to avoid time ticking away while you're while you're changing and, and trying to do things mm -hmm. and smart and smart when you say Xbox nowadays, you don't just mean console. It, it includes PC. It also includes uh, cloud or, or you know mobile. I guess in, in depending on how you look at the way cloud is used, uh, does this impact your design choices at all? Slightly, um, I think, because we we came in from the start of knowing this was going to be both um, console and and Xbox and 
uh, PC, um, we were able to think about lots of different player types and different play environments. Um, so I, I, I think it does impact it, but I wouldn't say that we, um, we did a ton of like, oh, let's think about the, the mobile specific streaming situation. Uh, I think, I think because the game has lots of handling for different situations, it, it feels like it ends up being a, a good experience uh, there, but it's definitely, I would just say, um, yeah, a unique environment where in the past, you know, console was kind of a, a locked ecosystem with very few variations that you could kind of build around. And now you really have to think about every scenario. And so it does add a lot of work for, you know, a smaller studio like ourselves to really take into account, you know, all, all the different, you know, um, models of Xbox, you know, and, and, and uh, control setups and that sort of thing. So it's definitely a challenge, but a, a fun one that, you know, I think ultimately the goal of that is expanding the audience and, and making it more accessible to different types of, of players. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, as we start to wrap up, uh, I want to point out just a couple couple things at the moment. If uh, the game is on sale over on Steam, uh, 10% constantly goes to Save the Rhinos through Harp Shaped. Is that correct? Yeah, so we've partnered with... Um, wildlife conservation network and they have specifically a rhino recovery fund um and they're a great organization a hundred percent of any donations that we we send to them goes directly to the people doing the work there's no like overhead fee or management fees they, they've got a really cool setup where all your funds can go there so it's really just about you know how how many sales can we have so that we can have the biggest impact uh you know to pass on to them but um really great programs really great cause that um you know over the four and a half years of development um we've uh you know become come close to and care about and so we're really excited to be able to support them with our game as well that's really cool that's awesome to hear um we had talked in in April of 2021 about the possibility of game pass. Did that ever come up as a discussion point by any chance? Uh, we, we, tr uh, we tried, it is not going to be on game pass, but, um, it is on pre-order right now, um, mm -hmm. for a 10% discount. Um, so you can go to our, our Xbox store page and, and, uh, grab the game now. So it'll be ready to go, um, on the sixth and, um, who knows, maybe in the future, if, uh, if we have a great launch, um, you know, that, that could be there. Um, but for right now we are not going to be on game pass. And from what I understand is, is Xbox PC, is it coming to any other platforms at this time? Um, not at this time. Uh, it, it's Xbox and PC. So I guess, I guess it's an Xbox exclusive, uh, launch. <laughs> there you right go. <laughs> there, that, see, that's the marketing wording right there. Right. That's how we do it, right? That's yeah, how we exactly. do it. Well, uh, listeners, I want you to know that during the course of this interview, I went and pre-ordered the game myself, took, took advantage of that uh, pre-order discounts, and I would encourage you guys to do the same for all the reasons. Uh, Scott, thank you so much for joining me. If there's anything you want to point people towards uh, before we go, please take a chance to do that. No, I guess you can just follow me on, on social media anywhere, um, you know, at, at Brody Games uh, is what I go by. And I just want to plug this podcast because I think uh, I've, I've followed along, you know, since we last were, were on it. And I think you do a great job. And uh, I just want to see you keep going. And uh, I think it's it's a great source for, for really cool um, Xbox information. So I'm just really happy to be a part of this. And thanks for inviting me back.